want us to finish a series that we started a few weeks ago entitled The Birthmarks of a True Christian. Uh, the Birthmarks of a True Christian. How do we know we're truly saved? Can we know that we're truly saved? Is it because we've filled out a card, joined a church, or repeated a certain prayer? Does that mean we're saved? I don't believe so whatsoever. And John writes this short epistle so that we may know. Now, let me start out in chapter 5, verse 13 there again, our theme, the main verse that John writes here. He says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. And so he writes that you can know that you are saved. You can know that you are on your way to heaven. And I want to review these birthmarks again that we've covered because I, I know this seems repetitive, okay? But I believe it's the job of a pastor not to necessarily bring something new because there's really nothing new under the sun. The job of a pastor is to remind you of the truths that have been once and for all handed down to the saints. And let me show you this, okay, before we get into these birthmarks. Paul tells a young Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.14 for him to remind them of these things. In other words, Timothy, your job is to remind the people of the church you're pastoring of the things I have taught you. In other words, it's a repetitive thing. Keep on reminding them of these things. The Apostle Peter would say in his epistle in 2 Peter 1, 12 and 13, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things. Even though you already know them, listen, and have been established in the truth which is present with you. And then he says, verse 13, I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. Okay, and so again, it's about reminding us of the things that God's word has already taught us. Okay, and so, it's important for us to realize of these things so that we can properly examine ourselves. Because Jesus said in Matthew 7 that many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Now think about that. Many, he didn't say a few people. say. He said many will say to me, Lord, Lord. And Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. John would say in this epistle that there are many false prophets that have gone into the world. In other words, not just a few false prophets. He said there's many false prophets that have gone out into the world. And so how do we know we're saved? Well, so far we've looked at birthmark number one. We said was the birthmark of confession. Confession. When I say confession, I mean who do you confess that Jesus is? Who do you confess that... God is. 1 John 4, 15, John says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Now when we say confession, we said it means to align yourself with, to be in full agreement, to speak the same thing. And I remind you, who do you say that Jesus is? Do you believe that Jesus is the sinless, only begotten Son of God this morning? Do you align yourself with his teachings? If he says, do this, do you do that? If he says, don't do this, you say, no, I don't agree with that because I'm going to do that. 
If that's your attitude, then you are not confessing who Jesus is. You're not aligning yourself with his teachings. Do you believe that Jesus took your punishment of your sin on the cross? Do you believe that he was buried? That he rose again on the third day and he now sits at the right hand of the Father. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven? That you cannot get to the Father except through Jesus. If you don't believe those things, you don't have confession. You're believing in another Jesus. And Paul warns about people who are following another Christ. So you got to have that birthmark of confession, the proper confession. Then we said the second birthmark was the birthmark of communion. In other words, commonality, similar characteristics. To have a mutual interest, to have a close association. 1 John 3, 7 and 8 says, Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. In other words, you've got to ask yourself this question, have you been changed? Have you been changed? There's this thought that goes on in our society that says, well, God made me this way, so that's who I know. You've got to be born again. Have you been changed? How's your conduct? Is your conduct consistent with Christ? Or does it look like the world? Then we said birthmark number three was a birthmark of compassion or love. John would say in 1 John 4 and 7, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Then in 1 John 2 and 9 he says, The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in darkness until now. So when you are saved, guess what? You're going to love other people. You can't say you love God and hate your brother. John says you're a liar. Then we said last week the birthmark number four was a birthmark of a conqueror. 1 John 5, 4 and 5, he says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So what that means is, if you are a child of God, you are right now an overcomer. Right now, even though there is a continuous struggle, as a child of God, you will overcome. And so I've said it before and I'll say it again. Listen, we're not talking about you get two out of three of these and you're good, or three out of four. No, when you're a child of God, you've got the right confession, you've got the right communion, You've got the right compassion and you are a conqueror right now as a child of God. And let me say all of these birthmarks as a child of God are manifested in us by the Holy Spirit. Let me show you this, okay, before we get to our fifth one. In 1 John 4 verse 13, look what he says here. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Okay? By this we know we abide in him 
and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Paul would say in Romans 8, 16, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Understand that. So the Holy Spirit is the one that is producing these birthmarks in our life. I want to show you this. Let's look at, again, confession. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, listen. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says... Jesus is a curse, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, you, a lost person can say Jesus is Lord because Jesus said, well, many will say Lord, Lord, but their confession is not a true confession because only through the power of the Holy Spirit can you say that Jesus is truly your Lord. So confession comes about by the Holy Spirit. Communion comes about by the Holy Spirit because Paul would say in Romans 8, 13, but if we by the Spirit are putting to death the deeds of the body, we will live. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the one that helps us to put to death the deeds of the body. Paul was saying in Galatians chapter 5, This I say then, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And so the Holy Spirit is the one that's helping us to live like Jesus he is the one that's giving us the power of our confession. He is also the one that is giving us the compassion, the love, because Paul would say in Romans 5 and 5 that the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through who? Through the Holy Spirit who he has given us. Again, what does Paul say? The fruit of the Spirit is love. And so when you are walking in the Spirit, being guided by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, you are going to love those that are unlovable. It's not something you can produce on your own. It's only something that God produces inside of us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So where does our confession, where does our communion, where does our compassion come from? Let's cause the Spirit of God that abides inside of us. And the last one we looked at, conquering. Where does that come from? Well, John would say this, and we talked just on this this last week. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, he says, You are from God, little children, and, and, and have overcome them. Why? Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Greater is he who is in me 
than he that's in the world. And, and Paul would say this in Romans chapter 8, 9 through 11. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But listen what he says here. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. That's what John is saying in 1 John. We just mentioned, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And then he says this, verse 10, listen, very, 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 we need to understand this. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of, this, because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness, in verse 11, he says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also live, give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now understand this. Do you realize the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives inside of you as a child of God? That's not what I said. That's what the word says. How can you lose if greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world? How can you lose? And so we see all of these are not on our own. They're because we are new creations in Christ Jesus. It's because we've been changed. And I want us to look at another birthmark this morning. And I want us to go to verse 18 and 19 of 1 John chapter 2. And I want us to look at this one. And this one is not as plain in John as the other ones, but I believe you find it in there. And here's what he says here. Children... It is the last hour. Now notice, what, when John is saying it's the last hour, we know that when Jesus Christ went back to the Father, we began the last days. Okay? That's when the last days began. Now when you've got last days, that means you're going to have last hours, last minutes, last seconds. Okay? And so John is emphasizing here the urgency of the time we are living in. He says, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. And so notice that John says here that many Antichrists have appeared, okay? The same way he says in chapter 4 that many false prophets have appeared. And listen, an Antichrist, I know, we I know Daniel talks about the Antichrist, but... There's many antichrists, and that is simply this. Anybody that is against Christ is an antichrist, okay? So John is saying there's many antichrists already appeared. There's many false prophets that are out there right now. And then he says this, listen, verse 19. He says, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they are really not of us. Okay? I want to read this from the Amplified Version. 
Look what the Amplified says in 1 John 2, 19. They went out from us, seeming at first to be Christians. But they were not really of us because they were not truly born again and spiritually transformed. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out teaching false doctrine so that it would be clearly shown that none of them are of us. John says if they had truly been born of God, they would have remained with us. They would have stayed with us. They would have continued with us. And he's not talking about people that go from one church to another church. He's talking about those that leave the church. Those that depart from the faith. See, I believe if someone is born again, that fifth characteristic is this, they will continue. They will continue. You don't continue in order to be saved. You're saved so you will continue is what I would say. See, John does not say these antichrists were thrown out or they were excommunicated. He said, but they went out voluntarily. Furthermore, when they went out, it was not simply a matter of leaving one church to another. They left the church. And what he's trying to tell us is this. There are people in the local body of Christ, in the local church, that they may say the right things. They may look like they are Christians. But when it's all said and done, their true nature will be revealed. Okay? That's the reason why I don't get impressed too much what goes on here. Because anybody can get right here and do something. And then three weeks later, you don't even, I mean, there's never been a change in their life. And I believe if you're a child of God this morning, you're going to continue. Now, I've got some scriptures to back this up. And let me say this, if you're a child of God, what I'm saying this morning is this. If you're a true child of God, you're going to have continual confession, continual communion, continual compassion, love, continual overcoming. See, Jesus said it like this in John 8.31. He says to the Jews who had believed, and he said, listen, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. You understand that? He didn't say if you got excited about the word on a Sunday. He didn't say if you made some noise on a Sunday about the word. He said if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. 
It's like this. Remember when Jesus told the parable of the soils? And he said, there's some seed that fell on the rocky soil, and they received this word with joy, but because they had no root, they fell away. Why did they fall away? Because they had no root. Paul would say in Colossians 1, and 23, Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Listen, if indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. That word if there is the word E-I in the Greek. I know that's impressive, but just listen. It's the idea that he's assuming that you will continue in your faith. In other words, you will have a lifestyle of faith. So in other words, if you are truly saved and built on a solid foundation, then you will continue in your faith and nothing will move you. Paul writes to the church, at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 2. He says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you have received, and which you also stand. Look what he says, verse 2. He says, By which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. Same word as Colossians. In other words, he's saying, if you hold fast, in other words, since you're going to hold fast, in other words, if you don't hold fast, guess what? Your faith was useless. It was worthless. It was useless. It wasn't true faith. It wasn't saving faith. Again, the reason Paul makes these statements is not to shake those who are saved. He realizes, and listen, I'm, I, I've got to realize this when I preach. Not every person, there's a good chance, not every person in this congregation this morning is really saved. You just can't assume everybody's on their way to heaven. Because there's no doubt there are some sheep and there's some goats. There's some wheat, there's some tares. And so when Paul is writing this, he is not trying to shake those that are wheat, those that are sheep. He's trying to help us understand that if you are a tear, you better be careful. You better examine yourself to make sure you are truly in the faith. I want to look at why I think we will continue as a child of God this morning. There's three things why you will continue as a child of God. The first one I would say this is the greatness of His grace. The greatness of His grace. Do you realize that the reason why you're saved today is not anything you have done within yourself? Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Go back to verse 5 first. Look what he says here to get us a better description of ourselves. He says, even when we were dead 
in our transgressions. We were made alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Verse 6, And raised us up with Him and seated us in heavenly place with Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing richness of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Then verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. You were dead in trespasses. You were dead in your sins. But God in His grace saved you. You weren't looking for Jesus because He wasn't lost. He was looking for you. When Saul was on the road to Damascus, he wasn't looking for Jesus. He was looking to kill Christians when God came to him in a vision, in a loud voice and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Lord, who are you? I don't, I don't know who you are. And he said, I am Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you are persecuting. Do you realize that salvation is a gift? It's not something you earn. It's not something you can, you can work yourself up and, and receive. The legalist says you're saved by grace but kept by yourself. No, you are saved by grace. You are kept by God's grace. That's what saved me was grace. But there's not only saving grace in my life right now, there's sustaining grace. What is sustaining grace? It means to hold up, to nourish, to furnish the means of living. Paul would say in Romans 5 and 2, through whom also we have attained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Right now, on September the 3rd, 2023, I am standing in God's grace. And the only reason I'm standing today is because of God's grace. See, sustaining grace enables us to continue when circumstances don't change. Sustaining grace releases supernatural strength to keep on going in the midst of the pain, the suffering, and the loss. Now listen. There's an old song we used to sing. It said, I'm going to wear a robe and crown. And one of those lines in that song says, I'm going to sit down beside King Jesus and tell him how I made it over. Baloney. You're not going to tell Jesus anything. You understand how that puts it like, I'm going to tell Jesus what I did to get over here. How conceited would that be to tell the Savior who has given everything for us what I had to do on my own to get over there? The reason why I'm here today is because God's saving grace. Because his sustaining grace. 
because of his sufficient grace. See, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 9 and 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything you may have an abundance for every good deed. You realize that God has abounding grace for his children. When Paul was, has that thorn in his flesh, what does God say to Paul? Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And I'm here to tell you the same grace that was sufficient for Paul is sufficient for you today. It's sufficient. There will be grace to stand for him. There will be grace to serve him. There will be grace to live for him. There will be grace to die for him. There will be grace to face whatever we need to face in the future for him. There will be grace, amazing grace, matchless grace, marvelous grace for every bump in the road of life. The only way you're going to make it to heaven is by God's grace. That's the reason why I praise him when I come into God's house. Not because I've checked off this week and said, yeah, I got it right 90% of the time this week. No, I come in here and say, Jesus, you're worthy of all glory, all honor, all praise because of what you have done for me. And I'm here to tell you, the reason why I believe I'm going to continue is because of the greatness of God's grace. I'm not talking about cheap grace. I'm not saying that you can live any way you want to live and you go to heaven. No, I'm saying if you're really saved, you're going to have the right confession. You're going to have the right conduct. You're going to have the right love. You're going to conquer and you're going to continue because of God's amazing grace on your life. That's reason number one. Reason number two is because of the superiority of his power. The superiority of his power. Now look at Jude 124. Look what Jude says. He says, Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand firm in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy. Now, my question is this. Who is able to keep us from stumbling? Him. Who is him? It's God. God is able to keep his children from stumbling and to present us blameless with great joy. 1 Peter 1 and 5 says this, that we are protected by God, by the power of God, through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in that last time. How are we protected? We are protected by God. God's children are protected by Him. Jesus was saying this in John 10, 27. He said, my sheep, Hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm a sheep. Not only is my, he's my shepherd, he's a good shepherd. And I'm going to say this. If you lived on a sheep farm and you hired a shepherd and you told them to take care of your sheep and they came in three days later and, and said, we lost half of them, you wouldn't call them a good shepherd. Paul would say in 2 Timothy 4, 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. 
Paul knew that God would rescue him and would bring him to his heavenly kingdom. Again, I'm here to tell you, a true child of God, one that's got true confession, true communion, true compassion, true conquering will truly continue. Why? Because of the greatness of his grace and also because of the, the superiority of his power. And I got one more for you this morning. Not only the greatness of his grace, superior of his power, but this right here, the surety of his word. The surety of his word. That song the choir has started singing the last few weeks. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. Why? Because he said I would make it. I'm going to make it. Why? Because he said I'm going to make it. Now, you may not can trust God enough to accept him at his word, but I just trust God enough that if he says something to me, I just accept him at his word. When he says, you're going to make it, Rodney, I believe I'm going to make it because God cannot lie. Now, I don't have confidence in myself. I've done told you, listen, if you find my garage door opener, let me know where it's at because I've lost it for three weeks. Got locked out of the house this past Tuesday. I don't have confidence in myself to get there. I don't have the strength. I don't have the courage. I don't have the wherewithal on my own to make it there. But I do know this, that I am confident of this very thing, that he that began a good work in me, he will perform it until the day that Jesus Christ calls me home. And let me tell you something. Who began the good work in you? Did you begin it? No, you didn't. He began it. Paul would say in Philippians 2, 12 through 13, So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed him, not only in my presence only, but also much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And listen, verse 13, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, who is working in you? God. You're not working by yourself. My partner on this journey is God himself. One translation says like this, that he has given you the power and the will to do his work. Who's giving you the power? God is. Who's giving you the desire? God is. Who's the author and finisher of our faith? Jesus is. And I'm here to tell you, listen, God will finish what he starts. You see it in creation. When God created this world, what did he say on the sixth day? It is finished. You see it in salvation. God had a plan of salvation before the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus came to this earth, walked on this earth, lived a sinless life, hung on a cross. And what does Jesus say in John 19? He says, it is finished. The plan of salvation is finished. You see it in creation. You see it in salvation. You see it in history. We can look at this world and see that history is about to wrap itself up in this world. God 
finishes what he starts. Romans 8, 30. Look what Paul says about us as his children. Those he, he predestined, that just simply means a mark out a path. He also called. Those he called, he also justified. What does justified mean? Justified deals with your past. Justification is a legal matter. It's a one-time act where God declares someone not guilty. We have been justified by faith. He said not only are we justified, he says we are also glorified. Understand that. What is glorification? It's the moment you get your new body. And what Paul is saying is we've already been justified. We've already been glorified. What he's saying is this, you can take God's word for it. He will finish what he starts in his children. Again, it's not all about me. It's not, it's not because I trust in myself. I don't trust in myself, but I trust in my Savior who died for me, who is working on the inside of me, that he's going to give me the grace to continue through. Again, understand this. Salvation deals with your past in justification. It deals with your present in sanctification. But it also deals with your future in glorification. And I'm not saying whatsoever that everybody that says they're saved are saved because they're not. But I am saying if you're a true child of God and you've got the birthmarks of a child of God, You've got this continuous confession. You've got this continuous communion. You've got this continuous compassion. You've got this continuous overcoming that God is going to finish what he has started in your life. Let me give you two more scriptures as she's coming. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 23 and 24, here's what the Apostle Paul says. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. Now who is, who is sanctifying you entirely? It's God that is sanctifying you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look what he says here. He says, faithful is he who calls you, who will also bring it to pass. God was faithful to call you. God will be faithful to bring to pass what he said he would do. Do you trust him? Do you trust him that God's going to do what he said he's going to do? Do you trust him that he's going to take you through? That he's going to take you home? Not because of your own efforts, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Because of God's sufficient grace. Because of God's sustaining grace. Because of God's incredible power. Because of the surety of his word. You can trust God. You can trust God. 
I don't struggle when I lay down, my head down at night about what's going to happen if I, if I die. Why? Because I've made my calling and election sure. I've made it sure. I've made it certain. It's not a pride in myself. It's the fact that I know that what God said He's going to do, He's going to do. And my fear is there's people that's in, not just this church, but we got people in churches all around here. That they've got a counterfeit religion. That they think they're saved when they're not saved. But when you're saved, you're going to be changed. When you're saved, you're going to line yourself up with what Jesus says. When you're saved, you're going to walk as he walked. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect, but I'm saying there's going to be a consistency in your life. When you're saved, you're going to love other people. When you're saved, no matter what comes your way, whether death, whether tragedy, whatever it is, because you're saved, you're going to still be standing at the other side of it. You're going to still be standing. And I would, I would challenge everybody in here. As Paul would say, examine yourself. Examine yourself to see whether or not you are truly in the faith. Because there's many false prophets. There's many antichrists. There's many people that are deceived and thinking they're on their way to heaven when there's no, absolutely no evidence in their life that they've been changed, that they've been turned into a new creation in Christ Jesus. But when you're saved, you're a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things become new to you. And God gives us eternal life. And that eternal life is just not some pie in the sky. It's for every day of our living down here. That we can trust Him. That we're in His hands. Can we stand this morning?